We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. And today we're talking about Kanye. But not yet. Not yet. First, uh, some information. You can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. And if that is you... First off, thank you for listening. Yeah. Second, uh, liking and subscribing and reviewing, all that stuff actually really does help us out. Third, if you have a show in particular that's your favorite, could you just share that with one person or five people or a total stranger at the grocery store? That stuff actually does kind of help us uh, spread the word a little bit. And if you have suggestions, all of those are good mediums for getting back to us. We are very, very interested in uh, engaging and leaning in on the kinds of conversations that people are actually having that's kind of our goal and dream for the show is to create space for dialogue for disagreement at times we know that sometimes life is murky or gray it doesn't all tie up like a nice hallmark movie and brian and i uh we know we know that all too well Mm -hmm. sometimes we'll dive into topics that we have no idea what we're going to do with uh and this is a perfect example of that yes it is kanye west apparently is no longer making quote secular music what's going on there it's a it's a fascinating um story because i think all of us as christians uh need to wrestle with i think our reaction to it because basically kanye west uh legendary hip-hop uh legendary rapper uh he like you said he has come out and said that he is not going to um do any more secular music and uh hold on i'm gonna sneeze (laughs) nope it stopped i think that's a common good first are you man that one's stuck anyway (laughs) Kanye West. And so the album is called Jesus is King, right? And so there's all the, and Kanye West, you and I have talked about it. He did a, something called the Sunday services he's been doing on Sunday, which looks very much like a church. Mm. He, last week, he had a guy come, uh, basically a pastor come. Remember, people used to say, well, this church, there's no preaching, there's no nothing, it's just concert. He actually had a preacher come who shared the gospel for 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to watch people try to go with, like, what do we do with Kanye West right now? Because there are some people going, amen, look at, like, this is a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, that God is doing something in the life of this guy who really shapes a lot of culture and is kind of, um, he's transformed them for the gospel. Now he's only going to do Christian music, right? He's like, uh, uh, he's he's proclaiming the gospel. His wife, Kim Kardashian West, has said uh, that he's born again, all this kind of stuff. So on the one hand, it's like, praise God, we're excited. On the other hand, people are going, uh, this feels like a publicity move. It's just about the religion of Kanye. He's selling shirts that say Jesus is king and he's making all this money. And so the question people are wrestling with is uh, it's not just uh, is he is this genuine, right? Is this genuine? 
uh, really they're saying, uh, is is Kanye even promoting Jesus or exploiting Jesus? And and it's just an interesting back and forth going on right now. I feel myself being tugged towards uh, some natural skepticism, but also wanting to go awesome. Like, don't we believe God, the God who brought transformation and people all throughout the generations like like that he could do this? And so uh, I want to I want to see how this plays out. But it's interesting even from the church world, from the Christian world, people going, no, no. And, and, but there are some reasons for that. And so it's a, it's a very complicated story that I think a lot of people are rightfully trying to get their arms around right now. See, I actually don't think it's that complicated. Oh, I, like to hear I'm, I'm a little tired of some of the supposed Christian snobbery Go of at it. like, well, this is, I mean, it's Kanye though. Jesus would never save someone like Kanye. Like, wow, Jonah much? Like there's just, <laughs> there's just a sense for me that like, at the very center of this gospel narrative is that God comes after, pursues, and saves the most unlikely people. And again, the whole thing might end up being a publicity stunt. I'm not so but naive to think there? right. Yeah. I, right. I'm not so naive to think that's not a very real possibility. But exactly, why start there? If the very center of the narrative of the story is God does surprising things through surprising people, He often uh, is seen but to transform the most unlikely characters, aka. Paul, right? Like there's, there's just all sorts of like bedrock examples where we preach about them yes. and we post memes about them. But then if, you know, very possibly it's happening in our midst, like, yeah, but not him. Right. Not he, this guy. Ah, he's just doing it for money. Yep. Like, I don't, I have no idea if he is or not, but why? Yeah, exactly your point. Why, why do we start there? He has looked crazy in the past, right? Like he said, some for sure. Stuff, but he even said, uh, radical obedience to Christ has gotten him past his mental, his mental breakdown. Again, I don't know the guy. Like, right. like, why don't we go praise Jesus? Like, that's awesome. Uh, and then, you know, if it turns out differently, his wife, as I said, went on The View and said, Kanye West is born again, saved by Christ. I think you bring up an awesome point. Like, one of my favorite sermons to preach is to see the biblical character who has been radically transformed, right? Uh, like you said, Saul, uh, Jonah, many others. But when it could possibly be happening in our midst, we all send up a... Uh, a flare that goes, don't believe this. This is a publicity stunt. <laughs> right. Not this one. Not this guy. Neither of us are so naive to say that there might not be something behind sure. this, but everything looks cool right now. So let's, let's let it play out and, and like pray that maybe God's going to use Kanye West in a way that, uh, that he's got a voice uh, that, that none of us could ever have. Yeah. And, and that God's going to use him as a megaphone and receive the glory for it. I want to, I mean, that's my prayer for I, sure. Mine too. And I, and I want to take an optimistic view of this. And and hold out the the possibility that we could be disappointed later, rather than take the pessimistic view of like ah that can't be true. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't do this. Like okay, let's see what God's doing in the life of. Uh, there aren't many people who have shaped culture more than Kanye West, right? Yeah. And so uh, this would be kind of in line of what God has done throughout history. Well, let me let me uh, read a quote here. It says uh, Doctor DeForest Buster Sores, a prominent author and pastor of First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens says he believes West is becoming increasingly more orthodox. In a video posted to Instagram and Twitter, here's what he said. It started out as just music, and it's evolving into a real orthodox message with an unorthodox format. And that's the church. That's how the church started. The church started with people bringing an orthodox message in unorthodox formats. And this whole idea of taking hip-hop music and putting Christian lyrics on it, well, that's what hymns are. Some of the hymns, old hymns in the hymn book, they are literally bar songs from Europe that use secular sounds where Christian writers put Christian lyrics on top of secular music. 
gospel music is the same way. If you take away the words from some new gospel song, you can't tell uh, if they're gospel or R&B. And I think that is such an important history lesson that so much of what we see now is like always has been as sort of a staple ancient part of our tradition. Like, oh, that was scandalizing when that first came on the scene, when we first started introducing instruments in the first place. So I think, I don't know, the, the whole other angle of this that we don't have time to get into is sometimes our Christian fascination with christian celebrities you know like yeah. chris pratt says something a little christian and everyone's like oh he's one of us and you're like <laughs> okay we do have a weird obsession yep. with justin bieber like, like hopping the, yes. on the christian celebrity bandwagon yep. so i i do want to say that there is i think an appropriate amount of caution or yeah. wisdom but in general though i want to start with a posture of celebration yeah. and yeah. i'm trying to look at the fruit right look at what he's actually saying and a lot of what's actually being said like you were saying these sermons at his events are are not bad. It's not not bad orthodoxy. Yeah, I would say uh, just from a distance, uh, some of the things that have been going on at his uh, what he's calling Sunday service are like they said they're becoming more gospel. There there was no preaching before, and now this past week there was a pastor who unapologetically was sharing the gospel for thirty minutes. Right. Like I watched some of it. There was nothing unclear about it. Right. And so we want to say as Christians, as Christ followers, praise God for that. Like yeah. let's keep this movement going. So. If nothing else, we should be praying that that be the case, and hopefully the fruit, like you said, uh, shows just real transformation. Totally. Well, coming up next in the studio, Pastor Jackson Crum, who's the pastor, lead pastor of Park Community Church in Chicago. Well, he was until recently, and what he's doing next in his next phase of life, I think, is so brilliant and so fascinating. I cannot wait for you to hear his story. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can call us. That's right. Your phone even makes phone calls. 312-660-2594. Plus, wherever it is you get your podcast. And if you like, subscribe and review. All that stuff actually does somehow magically help us. I don't really understand how it works, but I it does. That's what I'm told. I am absolutely thrilled, though to have in the studio, in the flesh, Jackson Crum. And rather than tell you all of the great things that he's done and is planning to do, I'm going to let him introduce himself to our audience. Take it away. You guys, so fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for including me. Uh, I have been the pastor, the lead pastor, for the last 15 years of Park Community Church, which is down in the city. We're right now a a church in 10 different locations. We're committed to being in neighborhoods. As you Mm -hmm. probably know, there's 77 community neighborhoods and 213 micro-neighborhoods. And so we would love to see a church in every micro-neighborhood in the city. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, Park's not going to do all that, but we (laughs) want to do our fair share alongside uh, many other good churches in the city. Just a couple of months ago, uh, 1st of August, I resigned. Mm -hmm. As a lead pastor, I resigned as an elder, and I'm now part of our global team. As my wife and I get ready to prepare to move overseas over to the Middle East-ish area, and what we want to do, what we are called to do, is to care for the folks that we're sending out. We have yeah. a vision to send out 100 people, and we want to provide that on-field care for them. Wow. That is so fabulous. And I, I want to start there, because Ian and I are both pastors, and I'm trying to think about the process you know, our churches are kind of like our babies, right? You've been there for a while. Uh, could you just walk us Reader's Digest version of like, how did you get to the point of going, you know what? I think God is calling me to resign from a job that I love, a yeah. church that I love, and go halfway around the world and do this. Walk us through that a little bit. 
Yep. Brian, it's a very interesting process. Uh, I'm twice the age of our average age at Park. No oh, wow. Now. So our average age is 31, which immediately tells you my age. And <laughs> knowing that at my age, we started needed, we needed to begin to ask the question, how do we transition, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. It needs to move into younger hands, and we want to see it keep moving forward. We want to see it continue to flourish and be fruitful. And, and, and in that process, for the last couple of years, God began to do some very significant things in my life. I, I did a message on global missions, and my catchphrase was an old class tune, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> and I, for many years, thought I should stay and mobilize. Yeah. That's really my best contribution. Mm. And then after that message, it began to really uh, rattle around in my mind and my heart. I, I, my, I need to go. Yeah. The second thing was uh, we get up and challenge our people to go, and we go to some very, very hard places in the world. And uh, I believe the day very well may come when one of us will have to get up and announce that one of our global partners has been martyred, I mean, mm. it, 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 the way the world is going. Wow. And I realized I could no longer with full integrity call our people out if I was not willing to say yes. Mm. And the third thing is my wife has just phenomenal cross-cultural gifts. It, seeing her in a cross-cultural context, the way – People are attracted to her, the way that she engages and understands. I felt like at this stage of our lives, it was my privilege and opportunity to steward her gifts well. Wow. You know, she has been wonderful with wherever God has taken us and our journey, but it's like now time for me to say yes to her. Wow. Let's do this. That's fantastic. I want to ask you uh, more about that a little bit later, but you said something earlier that the average age is 31 and I believe that something like 60% of your church uh, are single people. Single right? people. Can you talk to us a little more about, because I feel like young people and single people are the biggest head scratchers for most pastors that yes. I meet. Like, how do, we, how do we care for those demographics well, which you clearly have been doing? Like, what, what, what answers do you give to pastors that come to you seeking you. wisdom there? The park has always, from the very beginning, been committed to, to, at first to Lincoln Park, and that is young mm-hmm. professionals. Mm-hmm. In fact, where it was first located was on purpose. It was located in Francis Parker School because it's right next to Lincoln Park, and that couples would have to, uh, people would have to walk by that school in order to get to the park on Sundays. Hmm. So it's always had a vision for the young professional. Started by a guy named Matt Hurd, was the church planner. He was at Moody. Hmm. He wanted to uh, reach guys that he was playing darts with and softball. So <laughs> the, the very beginning, when Moody planted us, was let's go after young professionals. Hmm. And so we have always been geared in that mindset. What do we need to do to engage them? We've gotten older, quite frankly, as we've moved out of the city-centric and we've moved into other neighborhoods in the city. Mm. It's gotten it's made us older. I Mm. think a couple of things that we do well, and there's several other churches that you guys know in the city are doing this really, really well. Also, is that authenticity is really important. Yeah. Uh, millennials, uh, they question everything. They don't <laughs> trust much of anybody older than them. Yeah. What they want to know is that you're on the same journey. You mess up. You're struggling. You put your pants on, so to speak, just like them, and they want to hear your stories. Mm. And so when we're willing to get up, and I call it incarnational preaching, when I'm willing to say, hey, here's what I'm battling with. Here's how God's meeting me and in, in my failures and my struggles. Uh, the second thing we hear regularly is we're willing to hit hard subjects. Mm. Yeah, you know, millennials, again, are interesting. They may not agree with you, but they want you to tell them the truth. Mm. 
Again, they might not agree with you, right? but I at least want to know where you stand. Yeah. Okay, that's where you stand. Here's why you stand there. This is what the Bible says, and here's how you believe we should respond. And people are responsive to that. Yeah. Hmm. Third thing is the answer to every question uh, for our age group is relationship. No matter what the question is, it's community, it's relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big value for us. Small groups are a big value for us. Yeah. Uh, get connected, especially in the city. You know, 2.7 million people can feel very alone. Yes, right. But if I got these friends that I can do life with, you know, they're, now I got, I'm connected. I'm grounded. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, how did your church – I see your process of how you and your wife are like, you know, we're going to go. How did the church deal with it? Like, did, did they celebrate you? Were they like, yeah, we get that? Or was this – just kind of a bomb in the church. I'm curious how the church went with that. We were celebrating our 30th year anniversary, and the elders asked me, would you share it that night? And I, I, I said to them, I don't, I don't want to take away from yeah. what God's done for 30 years. And they, and they very wisely said, but Jackson, you're a result of what God's been doing mm. for 30 years. You're, you're one piece. Wow. So I got up and, and walked through our story and shared it. it you could hear, you know, it was a broad response. You could hear people kind of going, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Others, uh, thankfully, were somewhat sad yeah. versus helping me pack. <laughs> if a standing ovation broke out, <laughs> yeah. I'd take that personally. Yeah. Today? You're leaving today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's been uh, very affirming. And at the same time, people have been very surprised that at our stage of life, we would say we're going. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've had people my age really struggle with it because mm. they go, why would you leave your grandkids? That makes no sense to us. Now mm. you have time. And, and my response is, do we ever retire? Mm. Yeah, right. You know, is it every time just to pull over and let's go play golf as yeah. followers of Christ? No, we're always living on mission. That's right. So one of the things, uh, I've never actually done this before, but you're going to stick around for another segment. And I want to ask you about this book. We don't have time to get into it right now. But what I want to ask you to do, if I could just put you on the spot, Give us like a 20-second commercial for the book to kind of invite people like, hey, stick around because we're going to take a deeper dive into this a little bit. This book that I wrote is for people that are on the journey of asking the question, who is God? Hmm. You're in spiritual conversation with them. They can't quite put uh, connect all the spiritual dots. Right. And so what I tried to do is say, all right, I want to put the cookies on the lower shelf for you. Hmm. I'm coming back for that. That's good. How about you, Brian? I'm, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> that voice you're hearing is Jackson Crumb. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio oh, today. He's going to stick around for one more segment. We're going to talk about this book, your role as a pastor, what the future has in store for you, and wherever else the conversation takes us. Mm-hmm. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us. All over the World Wide Web. You can go and do that on your own. I don't have to tell you where all it is. But we are joined for segment two with Jackson Crum, who has done more than I think anyone that I've talked to recently. <laughs> and in particular, and I just I have to say this, too, because a number of people at Community speak so highly of you and of Park. And it is really Absolutely. a joy and a pleasure to have you here sharing some of your heart and some of what God's doing in your life. And you mentioned previously this book, Sought, that you wrote. And uh, you gave a little bit of a teaser about what it's all about, but can you take a deeper dive into yeah. what the book's about, why did you write it in the first place, and what's kind of your hope for in the future? I love spending time with people who don't know Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I became a follower of Christ in college. I know what lostness feels, you know, like, you yeah. know, what that, the, the thought of that is. I remember sitting around with friends one time who were talking about heaven and hell, and, and I said, you know what, if there is a God and if there is a heaven and a hell, I think I'm in deep trouble. Mm. And no one could give me a 
an answer. You know, no one could talk me in, into a better direction. And so I spent a lot of time with guys who don't know Jesus yet, and, and I thought, you know what, I want to write something that they could read that it would mm. be accessible to them. And mm. so I read an article where men don't read more than 100 pages, <laughs> so I kept it under 100 pages. That's awesome. Uh, where men like stories, and so there's a lot of stories in this. And what I tried to do is just take a different element about who God is. And is I had a, a mentor of mine. He was a nuclear physicist. Wow. And yet uh, he would always say, Jackson, put the cookies on the lower shelf for people. Hmm. You know, when you talk about spiritual things, here's a man who was brilliant. Yeah. But how do you make this accessible? How do you make sure that they can get it? Right. And so I tried to really put the, the cookies on the lower shelf and explaining who God is. Of course, God is infinite. Yeah. And I'm just explaining it at a very basic level. Right. That's fantastic. So we talked uh, last segment about how your church is pretty young. The yeah. like, average age, I think you said, was 31. And with the, the way people move from the city to the suburbs, I think you told us your average stay is like three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you've met a lot of different people over the years. Have you found this question of who is God is kind of a consistent one? Are you hearing it more often or is it? always been one that every generation you found has been asking? That's a good question, Brian. People are not asking it. Mm-hmm. People are asking spiritual questions, yeah. but they're not asking questions who God is. They're asking questions, where do I find meaning? Mm-hmm. You know, what okay. does it mean to be able to live my life to the fullest? You know, those questions haven't gone away at right. all. But they're not asking who God is. And so mm-hmm. many times, really, this book is going to come up later in the conversation. The, the way I describe it is it's the long conversation we have with somebody. It's months. Hmm. It, it's years. And I meet with a couple of guys now that I've met for a couple of years, not followers of Christ. We get together on a regular basis, talk about spiritual things, read books together. But it's just kind of moving the ball slowly down the field with them. Yeah. Because a lot of it is you're having to redo what people think about God. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. You know, break that down, or or what they think about Christians, yeah. because that's their view of who God is from mm. from Christians. Yeah. So I'm curious because it's a it's a conversation I've had like four times this week. Uh, how do you leave well? I feel like I keep hearing stories of pastors who are removed, or there's some sort of scandal, or some sort yeah. of terrible rift, or sometimes if it, even if it doesn't make a headline, like anytime I know a pastor that leaves, the first question is always, "Oh gosh, what happened?" Yeah. We assume something happened. How, what coaching or advice would you give to either pastors or churches or church leadership, and how, how do you leave well? Boy, that's a good question. That's mm. in, My wife and I wrestled with it. That's why I resigned uh, as the lead pastor and as an elder, mm. right? even though I'm going to be there for many more months. Yeah. Because they've got to make decisions. Right. They've got to undo some things that I've done. Mm. They've got to change some things that they think are better to do. And I don't want to be sitting in an elders meeting or a pastoral meeting having other opinions, mm, yeah. you know, because, of course, I got opinions. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they need to be able to have full freedom. And so I would say to a guy that when it's time to leave, leave as graciously as you can, turn it over with open hands, mm. know they're going to make changes, celebrate that, coach them, catch them doing right things, yeah. put your arm around them and go, man, that's great. I am for you. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you said you've been in Chicago now, you know, all these years pastoring, and you guys are planting in all these different places in the city. Uh, Chicago gets a pretty bad rap in the in the news. Yeah. I'm wondering, are you leaving Chicago hopeful for the city and the church in the city? What is kind of your take uh, on, the sh- on the city of Chicago? Yeah, that's an insightful question. 
I am very encouraged because I'm watching the church. In the 15 years I've been here, I've never seen the Big C Church come together like I'm seeing it now. Wow. That's awesome. That there are catalytic communities and Chicago Partnership for Church Planning groups that are together. They're yep. asking the question, hey, how do we do this? Not what, how do I get my name on it? Mm. How do I get behind so-and-so who's yes. doing that? Who, and they may never know of me or of our church, but we want to see them be successful. And we're starting to dip into, as Ian knows, we're starting to dip into some tougher neighborhoods in the city. And so Mm. I'm incredibly encouraged. But it's going to be a long walk. Yeah. It's a long walk because, as we all know, we have some very dark areas in our city. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so you're touching on another passion area of mine, and that's ecumenism, like the unity of the Big C Church. I'm a part of a multi-site church now, which I've never been a part of, so I'm learning all of that kind of stuff in real time. But what, what advice or coaching or insight would you give to churches anywhere listening, they're like, I want to build bridges with other, even if they're in the suburbs, even if they can't see the divide as clearly as you can in some neighborhoods in Chicago. Like, can you paint a picture of a, of a more unified church going forward? I think the first thing is that you got to live with an open hand and say, I'm mm-hmm. more I'm more committed to seeing the kingdom built to seeing my church built. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I would pray about other churches up front on a Sunday. Yeah. You know, that's great. Hey, let's pray about the, for this church and this church that are around us. You know, let let people know. And what's interesting, that is an apologetic for millennials, by the that's way, because right. they want to see that kind mm-hmm. of connection. And it's frankly a very biblical thing. Celebrate. We were talking about Aaron earlier, who's the pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church. I got up on a Sunday and I said, I know this guy. I trust this guy. Mm. I love what he's doing. If mm. this is something that would be a fit for you, please go. Yeah. And go with our blessing, our, our Derek Puckett, who's doing a, a work over by the United Center. Go. We want you to go wow. because we are committed. You lose people. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you lose people that are uh, deeply committed and involved in serving and all those kind of ways. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe when you give away, God wants to give back. That's yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, with the last minute or two that we have, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm struggling because as we talked off air, I don't tend to like Philadelphia <laughs> Eagle fans as a yeah. Giants fan. And so you say tend to like, that's putting it yeah, quite, quite yeah, softly. Yeah. <laughs> I might have uh, compared uh, the Eagles to ISIS off air, but you know. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> he did. He did say that. Uh, yeah. yeah, not my Some have, of right. us are a little fanatical about our sports, but uh, thank you in all seriousness so much for doing this. Uh, as we circle back to your book, again, it's called Sought. Uh, by Jackson Crum, uh, the shocking goodness of uh, of a seeking God. What is your prayer for this book? What do you hope as you hold it? What do you pray over this? Thank book? you for asking that. I would suggest that followers of Christ read it first, mm-hmm. then you give it to somebody and say, as I just did this week with a friend of mine. Hey, let's read a chapter together, or if you want to read the whole thing, and let's. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What I really would hope is that dialogue is created and that people would have a chance to read about this God who is amazing, who has mm. sought us and has given himself for us and who wants to be in relationship with us. I love that. All right, so before we wrap up, how do people get a hold of you? Websites, emails, where do, where do they go to learn more or to support you or to keep in touch? Uh, uh, they can go to Park Community Church. They can track me down there, again, Jackson <laughs> Crum, or they can just reach out to me at jcrum at Park community church.org. 
Yes, it's the longest email address <laughs> in the world. Yeah. I think my church might beat it, or at least the same. We, got, we just tried to change ours because ours is at fourcornerscommunity.org. And it's like, are you kidding no, me? No kidding. Ours is anti disestablishmentarianism.org. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't win. believe it wasn't taken. You couldn't believe. Jackson Crumb, thank, thank you so you. much for joining nice. us on the show today. This has been a real joy. You've Pleasure. been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can call us, 312-660-2594. We're also on the World Wide Web. Where's that website, Brian? The whole web. The, all of it. All We're of everywhere. We've taken over. We're letting you know we've taken over the World Wide Web. Yep. 1160hope.com. Look at us. We didn't yes. even rehearse that. <laughs> you can also find us wherever it is you get your podcast. And if you like, subscribe and review that actually does really help us out a whole lot. And we have on the phone our friend, Candy Cushman. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be with you. Wow, that, that was really impressive in unison. Thank you. We're going to try to do this entire interview in unison. We're also, we're also both words of affirmation, guys. So you even so saying that you. officially on air actually means a lot to us. So you've been on the show before, but for people that maybe don't know who you are or what you do, could you just introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm the Director of Education Issues and Initiatives at Focus on the Family, and what that means on a practical basis is that I track issues happening in the education realm and just provide uh, tools and helps for families across the nation to try to navigate that, you know, in the spheres that they're encountering education issues. So whether it's homeschooling freedoms or school choice or uh, students' religious freedoms, you know, at Focus on the Family, we're trying to help parents and students um, navigate all those issues and really thrive in the education realm. Yeah. So we want to talk to you specifically about um, the whole idea about bringing your Bible to school. I believe there's a whole hashtag, right? Bring your Bible to school. And uh, could you talk to us about that initiative? What is the heart behind it? And what are you hoping to see happen? Yeah, so this is happening tomorrow. Um, there are going to be well over half a million kids bringing their Bibles to school, bringing their own personal Bibles into the school and starting conversations. You know, and it's just so exciting to see kids leading this movement. Now, at Focus on the Family, we provide um, school-ready tools and resources for them for free at the website bringyourbible.org, but it's up to the kids to go in there and lead and organize the events in their school. So that can be anything from just taking that first step of bringing their Bible and their backpack and taking it out during the free reading period to read it. Um, or some kids take it another level and actually make a whole event and put posters up and uh, distribute encouraging scriptures throughout the day. Um, but if you want to check it out, everything you need to know is at bringyourbible.org. Um, you can sign up there to have your voice counted for joining the movement and also access uh, free resources for elementary age and teen. And also uh, there's a parent pastor guide and it, it's got everything you need to know from an, an explanation of what their rights are to just some fun student activities you can do um, with kids to help prepare them. So one of the things we've realized doing this show is that people really resonate with stories, right? Like sometimes what we talk about a lot of stats and a lot of kind of big picture stuff. But do you have any any stories that kind of like kind of illustrate or, uh, or or kind of bring some some color to like what what it is that this is actually accomplishing? Yeah. Well, I'll talk about one of our uh, most recent students that have joined the movement, um, and that's Perry. He's a senior high school student in Colorado, and his video is on the website if you want to hear his story for yourself. Hmm. Um, but he talks about how he's actually been bringing his Bible since he was a middle school student and 
that's just because God was speaking to him about, I, you know, I want you to be authentic about who you are, not only at church and at home, but also with your friends at school and not be two different people in both places, but to be the same person. And, and the way that God was ministering to Perry that way was just, um, just challenging him in his heart to bring his Bible and talk to people about it. Hmm. So interestingly, he was already doing this when he heard about Bring Your Bible to School Day. Uh-huh. Um, and then he participated in the event last year, and he, and he is participating again this year. And one thing that, that he shared for his motivation for doing it is that last year his, his mom, his family was rocked when his mom got a um, sudden, di- uh, sudden cancer diagnosis. And Perry shared how he actually struggled with God about that. And mm. he, he shares very openly about, you know, he was thinking, well, God, if you're not going to come through, I'm not going to come through for you. And just kind of thinking that way. And his dad challenged him, just read 10 Bible verses a day. Mm. Um, just do that. And Perry talks about how he started reading just 10 verses a day. And it really wrought, it changed his whole perspective. Um, he had emotional peace. Um, things that used to bother him, bother him during the school day were not bothering him. He had the supernatural strength. And, of course, once he started reading 10 verses, he was reading a lot more on his mm. own. He, he went beyond that. So he gives a challenge to other students to start with 10 verses a day. And the reason the freedom to bring his Bible is important to him is because he just wants to share that hope that got him through. And that's what I see with um, you know all of these students is they're really motivated by, I just want to share the hope that God has given me that has pulled me through some really hard times. Um, I just want the freedom to talk about that hope. So they're yeah. looking way beyond all the politics and everything out there to, I just, I want to share something more eternal. Yeah, that's great. Now, speaking of the politics and all of that, uh, I do know a couple months, a couple weeks ago, there, that whole firestorm with Drew Brees was around this yeah. day, around this topic. Just curious, Drew Brees, he put out a promotional thing for you guys for bring your Bible to school day. And it kind of created an uproar with some people uh, I'm wondering, were you surprised by that? What did that teach you guys at all? And maybe has that even given you greater promotion for this event? Talk about uh, the reaction for you guys from that. I, I was surprised at the level of vitriol um, for a simple 20-second video. It was just encouraging kids to live their faith. But really, I guess we shouldn't be because that is part of an ongoing pattern that we're seeing in this culture. Um, I mean, just, just think about Second Lady uh, Karen Pence coming under fire for simply teaching art at a Christian school, you know, Chick-fil-A getting kicked out of airports simply because their owners have a biblical viewpoint. And what, what I think it really illustrates is just, just it further illustrates the need for this event in the first place, um, because those, when, when kids see public figures, you know, getting attacked for their faith or being uh, people with a biblical viewpoint being marginalized, that does trickle onto the campus and send this message that you need to hide who you are as a Christian. And the reason we need this whole event, Bring Your Bible to School Day in the first place, is because we want to remind kids of the freedom to live out their faith in public, that you can do so without fear of punishment, that this was a principle our founding fathers were willing to give their lives for, and that they're not alone, Hmm. that there are people like Drew Brees standing with them and their right to freely live out their faith. And, you know... The cool thing about that was that what man intended for evil, God did absolutely use for good because we got more awareness of this event than we ever could have as a result of that controversy. Mm. And in fact, there was a, a, a one big surprise we had as an outcome of that was there was a veteran race car driver, J.J. Yaley, mm-hmm. who had heard about everything going on with Drew Brees and decided he wanted to do something to encourage the kids. And he put the Bring Your Bible colors and logo on his car in the 
uh, Xfinity NASCAR race this past weekend. So that was super fun. I encourage people to go to our Facebook page and check out the, the images of the car. It was really, it's just really cool. So, Candy, I, I actually don't even know the answer to this question at all. Are there other faiths yeah. that do things like this at our schools? Like, are, do you do we see Muslim communities or Jehovah's Witnesses rally around this the same type of effort, or is this like unique to uh, to Christians? Well, I think that Christians have a unique mindset in a lot of ways, where they have this this um, desire to really share God's hope and and the good news, the gospel, and the kids that we work with. Um, they are super motivated by that to share something eternal. It goes mm-hmm. way beyond the the other issues that are swarming in their schools right now. They want something. They want to be able to talk about God's hope that goes deeper than that. Um, but what's interesting is that people need to understand is that this event did not create any new right. That right was there all along. It's mm-hmm. just that people, the rights get lost when people don't exercise them or put them into practice. Right. But right. in reality. Any, anybody of any religious perspective, any kid has the right to bring what he believes to his school and start conversations, his or her school and yeah. start conversations. And I think as Christians, we have the confidence that God's truth is going to rise to the surface and yeah. in the marketplace of ideas. Well, Candy, thank, thank you so you. much for taking the time to be on the show today. We really appreciate it. Coming up in the second hour, a new bill signed in California. Dr. Marsha Vaughn is going to be here and talk mental health. And we're also going to end with kickers the way we always do here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. everyone welcome back to the common good it's five o'clock somewhere and that somewhere is right right here, here. right here that's right our new slogan here. it's that's probably not a good it's slogan. five o'clock somewhere <laughs> can you imagine that like passing like through all the people that would need to approve of that the common good it's five, five o'clock, o'clock somewhere <laughs> that's that's true i can't tell if like the show is because of that or mm-hmm. people are nah I, should yeah, I don't think it would work either way <laughs> Anyway, if you want to find us, uh, you can go to Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or you could call us, 312-660-2594 plus. We're podcasted, and if that's your jam, feel free to like, subscribe, and review, and if you share that with somebody, that helps us out so, so much. And yeah. uh, All right, so something that's been pretty big in the news last mm, couple of days, I guess. Yeah. California governor signs bill allowing college athletes to sign endorsements. Yep. What's going on here? Yeah, let me just read the beginning of this article. This is at NBC News, but it's all over the place. So we figured we'd tackle it because this one is uh, so many of us are college basketball, football fans. uh, And this could be a seismic shift in the way things go, because California signed this. But there's also pending one in Colorado, in South Carolina. And, you know, once those dominoes fall, they fall. And there's some there's some national legislation that's also federal, I should say. Uh, It says calling the forced amateurism of student athletes a, quote, bankrupt model. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a first-in-the-nation bill Monday that clears the way for college players to be paid for endorsement deals. Hmm. The legislation allows student-athletes to sign endorsement deals and prohibits the governing body of college sports, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, better known as the NCAA, Mm -hmm. and the schools from banning those compensated athletes. 
NCAA rules strictly prohibit athletes from profiting in any way from their sports, and the law would still bar schools from directly paying athletes. The new regulation is scheduled to start in 2023. Newsom went on to tweet this. He said colleges reap billions from student athletes, but block them from earning a single dollar. That hmm. is a bankrupt model. And so it keeps going. So you know how the you know colleges work is, uh, or the NCAA works is, you are, let's pretend Ian Simpkins is a star quarterback. It's right? not hard to not imagine. Not hard to imagine at all. You'd go to uh, maybe University of Michigan, right? You're going to go play for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Harbaugh could make $10 million as the coach. Right. The uh, university can sell your, what number would you want to be? Maybe number five. Six. Six. Yeah. They could sell the number six Simpkins jersey all they want. Right. So that when you look up at, you know, at the stadium, all 100 plus thousand people wearing your jersey, but it, it the rules prohibit you from seeing any of those money. And so the weird part is in college athletics, uh, you could um, have trouble paying for meals. You know, or right. your family could be struggling at home while the university is making tens of millions. The flip side is you get a scholarship. Mm. You get, uh, f- you know, free. Uh, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Of, of free tuition. You get uh, free, um, you know, shoes and other swag. Uh, and the amateurism protects colleges uh, from it becoming the highest bidder, right? right. People coming in for stuff. And so that's the, there's been this shift. What are colleges to do? Because right now it's it's gross how much money colleges are making off these kids. Mm. Tens of billions of dollars. I think it was LSU just built a football like practice slash weight room slash locker room for well north of $100 million. Wow. Uh, coaches now regularly make $10 million a year. Wow. Uh, so the question is, uh, is it a fair system? And now the tide seems to be moving. Mm. Because let's be honest, there's there's a racial economic element to this, yes. and that is that uh, for every um, well uh, wealthy uh, kid who doesn't really need to make money, you know, can do the four years of college. There's probably five kids right. uh, whose families are either really struggling or struggling, uh, and so it feels like uh, there should be more done for these people. And so, me personally, I think. Uh, it's there, no one's saying that this isn't. This might be the first step towards paying players, but that's not what this is. This is, hey, Ian, if they sell your jersey, you get a cut of it, right? If they make a poster of you and it sells, it's your likeness. You get a post. You get a, a cut of that. Right now, that's illegal, and would get a school put on probation. And what California's saying is, nope, they can do that now. So I'm I'm guessing by your tone that you're in favor of this. I am. You are. I am. It 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 for for many different reasons. Okay, give us give us a few. So one, uh, there's no other element in college life where we don't allow people to make money, right? If you go to the University of Michigan and you are a uh, a best of the best concert level violin player, yeah, you're allowed to go play your violin and make money, right? You're allowed to be promoted and get some of that money. We we do that all the time, right? Uh, two, uh, it's now gotten to the point where it is such a big business, college athletics. Hmm. It is such – before, it's always been big business, but now we're talking in the B, billions. Right, right. That to say that these athletes that we're doing it on the back of are not worthy of anything above a scholarship is – it feels un-American, quite frankly. Hmm. Uh, capital, for all of us who are crying about you know capitalism, keep it – well, this is capitalism. Like, let them – 
make their money off of stuff. Uh, it just has a weird feel. And then when you add on that element of so many of these players, quite frankly, uh, their families are in need of of some of uh, money. Uh, and no one is yet suggesting that they should be paying kids like they pay professional athletes. This is a merchandising deal. This mm. is a likeness deal. Uh, to me, um, here's a third thing, right? Uh, these kids, some of the, the best of the best, they're already getting paid just right. in back channel ways. Mm. So let's figure out ways to better bring it into the light and regulate. So for all those reasons, I just it just feels creepy. And like, is that the right word? Just creepy and icky that these guys, these guys in suits uh, or coaches are making tens of millions of dollars. And the ones who are actually making the money can't even profit off of their likeness being sold. Right. That feels weird to me. Why do you, why do you think it's taken so long for something like this to be signed? I think it's the, uh, it's to me, and most of the arguments I've heard, there's two. There's, uh, there's the old slippery slope argument. If you start paying them now, where is it ever going to end? And amateurism is going to be gone forever. Well, amateurism has gone forever already. Right. But that's the argument. Mm. Uh, and the second argument, I think, is just kind of this hearkening back. People want to be like, there's this false narrative that while while professional athletics are, are like greedy and this and that, college, there's something – uh, there's something much more innocent about college athletics. Huh. It's not true, right. <laughs> right. but people believe that. Mm. And so uh, there's probably elements of power and race in this as well. Yeah. Um, I think all of that makes a stew where people are like, plus people love college athletics. So they're like, don't change anything because changing anything might, it might, the whole thing might collapse. Like what might happen? And so there's probably some fear to it. Um, but I think there's lessons for all of us to have to wrestle with in here. Like, uh, you know, people, uh, yeah, there's a lot of lessons, one of which is like the people who are most responsible uh, for all of this revenue being brought in, I think, deserve some of the revenue. So so you think, though, there's some other reasons kind of behind the scenes that no one's really articulating that are kind of the driving engine behind this issue? I think it could be for some people. Yeah. I think it could be. Um, the NCAA is, a again, a multi-billion dollar organization. Yeah. So it's in their best interest for it to keep functioning the exact way it's functioning. Yeah. Uh, and we do that in churches, right? Like to make the big leap. Sometimes why do we keep doing things? Because this is the way we've always done it, and I don't want to rock the boat. Right. I think there's more greed in this one, although there's been many a church Not taken always. down by greed. Right. No kidding. Uh, but I think – you know what? It's the 21st century. Like there's young people on YouTube. There's young people everywhere making lots of money. And you've got these kids who are literally, like I said, bringing millions upon millions of dollars uh, for organizations being told, well, you should just be happy with a scholarship, which is a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. But I, it's a little bit um, disingenuous to pat them on the back and be like, but that's all you should be able to have. This almost feels like a grinds my gear segment right now for Brian Fromm. This I is don't like feel a- that. So the more I read about it, the more strongly I feel. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it's It just doesn't seem fair. Like, yeah. I think we should be people who want to stand up for fairness. And, uh, you know, like I said, I do think there are some power and some racial elements to that. But also, I think it's just a good old story of greed. And you know what? Uh, I think for once the people who are making the money off their own likenesses should have some ability to get a piece of that pie. Yeah. Well, we'd love to know what you think. You can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. 
And uh, what do you think? Is this uh, is this story? Does Brian get it right? Are there other elements that we're missing? <laughs> Are there other pieces that uh, need to be considered? We would love to know what you think about this or any story that we do, to be honest. And coming up next, we have a wonderful repeat in-studio guest. Dr. Marsha Vaughn is here. She's going to talk to us about Suicide Awareness Month last month, Mental Health Day, which is coming up. We're also going to talk about trauma and lament and our therapy memes actually helping us destigmatize mental health. All that and more coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. I'm going to keep calling you that. I don't think he likes I it. I know I do like you. Oh, you do. It's a lot more formal than what most people call me. <laughs> I'm just going to keep adding titles yeah. every single show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get podcasts. And as our return guest of the day... Dr. Marsha Vaughn is in the studio. Marsha, welcome back. Thank you. So glad to to have you. All right. So last time you were here, uh, was it a month ago? August. August. Oh, okay. So maybe a month and a half. Since that time, just full disclosure for everyone else, uh, we've shared stories back and forth like a thousand times. (laughs) We should talk about this. This would be a good topic. This would be a good thing. So why don't you, just for people who maybe don't know who you are, just introduce yourself however you want to to uh, our listening audience. Yeah, okay, well, I'll start out by saying I just learned that Ian has a file on me, which mm-hmm. is a little mm-hmm. disconcerting. Um, sure, just, you know, don't don't tell my employer. Um, well, <laughs> s- since then, I, I, I have started a new job. That's right. Um, I am a, a family therapist by training, licensed in Illinois, master's and PhD in family therapy, um, have also trained as a hospital chaplain um, after I finished my PhD and I'm currently um, a professor of couple and family therapy at Adler University oh in the loop. Um, <laughs> so I spend a lot of time on a train these days. Wow. Um, but I love what I do. I do research um, on couples and families, and I teach and train uh, kind of the next group of family therapists up and coming. Um, and I live—I not live—I still live out in the suburbs, but I work two blocks from Millennium Park, and oh, nice. it's amazing. That's so uh, fun. So yeah, life is good right now. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on uh, is to talk about uh, you know September, which just ended, I believe, was Suicide Prevention or Awareness Month, mm-hmm. and World Mental Health Day is coming up. Yes. And Ian and I spent a lot of time talking back in September of that tragic story of Jared Wilson. Uh, those who don't remember, a pastor. Uh, who really spoke a lot about his own struggles with mental health and depression and other things. And then just tragically, and he was helping other pastors and all sorts of stuff. Uh, And then he tragically uh, took his own life on suicide awareness day or prevention day or whatever that one was. Uh, And so uh, we, I remember way back when we were discussing that going, we need to have somebody on to talk about this smarter than us. So, Thank you for being here. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that story. Like, how did that hit you? What do you think? Uh, what is the takeaway um, for not just pastors, but for everybody from that those kind of stories? Um, well, and I'll, I'll add to that a little bit as well. Um, also on that same day, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name, um, but the man who served as the uh, director of counseling and psychological services at Penn hmm. University um, also committed suicide that same day. Wow. Uh, so I happened to see those two stories um, literally within a matter of hours of each other and just thought, my goodness, what in the world is going on? Um, you know, there have been you know, other high-profile suicide cases in, you know, the last year or two, 
Um, so I think every time something like that hits, the, the questions start to come up. Yeah. Um, and, was, you know, did somebody miss the signs? How could this happen? They seem so happy. Um, but I think there's something uh, different about pastors mm. and counselors mm. um, being impacted by this. Uh, so just started digging a little bit more deeply into their background uh, circumstances of their life um, just to kind of see maybe if there were some some things that, um, not that anybody missed, but just to kind of understand a little bit more um, what happened to get to that point. Mm. Um, again, I know uh, Jared had touched a lot of, you know, friends and former students of mine. Um, they had heard him speak, and some of them knew him personally, and so they were pretty deeply impacted by yeah. that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, one, one of the articles yeah. you shared uh, in the last week or so, uh, the title is this, The Too Accessible Pastor, yeah. The Danger of 21st Century Ministry. Is there anything in this article you think that kind of helps shed some light on what Brian was asking with mm-hmm. regards to pastors and counselors in general? That is, is there something to be learned there, I think, in terms of our accessibility? Um, yeah, I think there is. And, and maybe it even starts a little bit before accessibility or just that that idea of you know pastors and counselors. And there's probably a few other professions in there, too. Um, they're the ones that kind of have to look like they've got their act together right. all the mm-hmm. time. Right. Um, especially now that uh, you can have a farther reach through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a, a larger audience. So that idea of having to, uh, you know, protect and curate your image right. uh, seems to be a little bit, little bit heightened uh, in these two <laughs> yes. professions. Uh, so the idea, that, again, that you're accessible through social media, through texting through, you know, the, the phone calls, you've always got your phone with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be, I, I think, um, particularly salient for people in the helping professions like pastors and counselors. That's interesting. Yeah. And being in the helping profession, uh, what do you, why would there be hurdles? Why people out there might be going, well, pastors, if they have problems, go get some help. You know, what is there hurdles that are particularly facing pastors in admitting they've got issues and they need help? There seems to be this uh, delay for pastors of like, yeah, I can't say anything. I have to look a certain way and Mm. I can't admit to anything. What do you think is going on there? Yeah. Uh, okay. This and this might be a rabbit trail that we don't want to go down. I, <laughs> Let's do it. You're going to be careful. You sorry you asked this, or I'm going to be sorry you asked this. Um, I think that in general, um, we are incredibly unforgiving, mm. um, and people who are in the role of pastor or counselor. Um, whenever they screw up, mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about something bad happens to them. Um, I'm talking about they they mess up. Um, you know they you know they get caught in sin. They get arrested. They get you know something like that. Um, it is so hard to walk through a process of confession, redemption, mm-hmm. restoration. Mm-hmm. You know, in general. Um, but for professions or for people who are called into a helping role, yeah. um, it's again, it's it's just hard. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because in the ancient liturgies, confession is always followed by assurance, and I think the pastors that I know so often don't confess because mm. there is no professional yep. assurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's mm-hmm. a fear to actually mm-hmm. if I out myself, they might be forgiving, but I'm I'm going to lose my job, right? Or I'm going to lose, you know credibility in the eyes of my leadership. And I'm, I'm curious as a counselor, do you, do you carry some of that same weight or is there, is, do you feel like your profession is a little bit further down the field in, in that conversation? Um, I, I, well, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I, 
I think personally, you know, I, I am pretty guarded with some with some things yeah. um, on social media. There are a lot of times where I will type something and, and sit with it for a minute or two. And I'm like, nope, delete. Yeah. Um, we yeah. talked about the delete button yes, last time. we did. <laughs> Still use that. Um, I should use it more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, there, you know, there are some social media things where it's a little harder to, to delete yeah, now, right. um, thankfully. Uh, but you know, with uh, therapists especially... Um, I think again, often you, we don't see the we don't see the process. Mm. We see the the, the end result. Mm. Um, so we love the stories more of overcoming than to see the actual process of it. Mm. So it's like, let me tell you about all the bad stuff that I've done and have been through before, but everything's okay now, and I've right. learned from that. Right. Um, but you don't actually see how the sausage is being made. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and honestly, I think you kind of would want to, would hmm. need to. Um, that's what I love about the work of Brene Brown yes. and her work on vulnerability and shame um, and her book, Daring Greatly, uh, mm. is, you know, what you, you've got to walk through, you've got to walk through that right, stuff. Right. Um, and if we were in a more forgiving a kinder place then maybe that would not scare us to death yeah great yeah so we know that we've got a bunch of pastors who regularly listen to us whether uh, on the radio or on a podcast yeah. what's one word of advice you'd give to them if they're struggling if they're like you know what what she's saying i'm kind of there maybe they're not at the yeah. point of like i'm thinking of taking my own life but just you know i don't feel like i can be open about who i am and i'm struggling what's maybe one step or first step or a word of advice you'd give to mm. those pastors out yeah. there great question um i would say um please ask for help Mm. Um, you know, please um, find a counselor in your community who, uh, you know, even if they're just a listening ear, yeah. so you can, you know, kind of unload about all of the crazy, silly things that you have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Um, you know, we're, we're great at that. Yeah. Um, the second is, you know, please work with your, you know, your elder board or your governing board or whoever is, um, whoever you are accountable to yeah. and work in a, a regular rhythm of Sabbath, you know, mm. not just the weekly day off, right. um, but how to protect your family, how to protect your time, um, how to protect your energy um, and you know, just kind of build that into the rhythm of your work yeah. before it gets too late, yeah, before you're right. too far gone. Well, thank God you're not leaving us yet. Mark Vaughn's going to stick around for one more segment. We're going to talk yeah. about trauma Maybe some ancient singing, maybe therapy memes if sure. we have time. Therapy memes, nice. Let's see how we're going to try and fit all three of those <laughs> into one segment. Trauma to therapy memes. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't be the weirdest thing we've done on the show, actually. So all of that and more is coming up Challenge next. Challenge accepted. That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's a high bar. There you go. <laughs> That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right reverend doctor. Not a doctor. Not, See, now you're lying. Well, that's not... But what is... Really Honorary? Doctor? <laughs> Honorary. <laughs> if anyone would like to give me one of those. I was going to say, please. the only doctor in the room... Just <laughs> If she's giving it to me, I got it. Sure. Is that part of being a doctor? Do you get to give out other doctorates? No. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, oh, we don't know how this works at all. Uh, okay, I would like the doctorate with no work. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> that's... Shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear that from you. <laughs> well, that third lovely voice you're hearing is Dr. Marsha Vaughn, uh, who is not only a brilliant, brilliant mind, but just a friend and someone 
I don't know if people can find you on social media or not. If you want that or not, I probably shouldn't mm. have even offered that. Never mind. She's not on social media. Don't don't even bother looking for it. Oh, yeah, I am. I just like to hide. It's <laughs> not uh, an oxymoron. Hide on social on media. On social, exactly yeah. right. Well, you do have, I think, one of the most interesting Facebook news feeds, though. Like, mm. I I save more articles from you than almost anyone what? that I follow on social. It's true. Mm. If you could okay. see my save list, you would go through and go, oh, this is weird. Like, it is – because I just think you see the world in a really – unique I'm, and helpful way and as someone that wants to learn and keep learning yeah. i just think i just think you're uh, incredibly helpful in that regard one such article is one here's the headline ancient singing tradition helps people cope with trauma in the modern world and so we're talking about lament here a little bit which is a topic that i'm really passionate about why don't you talk to us a little bit about this idea of lament which feels like this old word mm-hmm. in in a very modern context mm. Well, and thankfully, um, you know, one of my former colleagues, Dr. Robert Wallace, who I think has been a guest on the show too, um, Old Testament professor, expertise in the book of Psalms, uh, has been really influential uh, in my thinking on lament. Mm. Yes, and so I have to, you know, hat tip to him on this. Um, But some other reading and research that I'm doing on therapy is um, other cultural traditions that are not white and not Western, Hmm. um, most of them will have a method or a ritual or ceremony of lament that is community-based, that is just part of life. And, you know, it's not just a funeral ceremony, um, even though that can be a good example of that. Um, But there are other instances where the community comes together and grieves, and it is not... You know, let's lay flowers on the sidewalk and mm. light candles and short and share stories and have a vigil. And then, okay, let's all go back to work tomorrow. Um, it is very well thought out. It often ha- has extended over generations, mm. and it's a way of defining that community mm. uh, and a way of marking the loss and incorporating the loss into community life. Um, so I think that's one of the things, too, that can that's be huge. missing. Yes. Oh, it is huge. Um, and if you th- just think about, you know, back to what we were talking about before, pastors and counselors and the, the extra stress that they're under. I mean, who do you go to whenever you are feeling like garbage? Yep, right. you, you go to a therapist or a pastor, and that's part of their job right. uh, is to make you feel better. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, what if the job isn't to make you feel better? What if the job is just to kind of sit with you that's in right. it while you feel bad? Right. Yeah. Sort of sit um, shiva, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so I think we've kind of lost how to lament and cause, you know, raise your hand if you do not think life is kind of awful right, right now. Right. Um, so I would love to hear from you. Um, maybe Enneagram sevens. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we can, yeah. We'll talk about that another time. I was going to say, I'm a six, so they're my neighbors. I guess I have to, I guess I have to deal with them. So my neighbors. Fine. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I love my seven friends. Um, <laughs> yes, that they're, 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 necessary (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes but because lament requires acknowledging pain Hmm. lament requires acknowledging that life is hard and awful and people are awful um but yet there's lament this is something that i learned from robert um is that lament always ends with hope you know Hmm. with one exception in the book of psalms um i think it's 88 right you had him for class. I just kind of, <laughs> I just kind of talked to him in the hallway. Um, but yeah, the so the idea that lament ends in hope, it kind of um, it puts the extra burden on people who are tasked with 
giving mm. hope. Mm. Uh, and so what if hope is becoming harder to find? Yeah. Uh, so I think that I, so if hope is harder to find, then let's just not even go there in the first place. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of hard to raise your hand and say, you know what, not doing so well right, right now. Um, because chances are the person next to you is also not doing so well. That's right. um, and if there's one thing we hate as Americans, especially white Americans, is being a burden. Mm. Uh, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, um, your mentality, the self-sufficiency yes. trap. Yep. Uh, and again, guilty. Same, um, same. So it's just so hard to, to say, you know what? Help. Please. Yeah. Yeah. What is the result? I agree with you that our culture does this really badly. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, but also our church cultures do this really badly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering why that is, in your opinion, and what's the result if we don't get this right, if we keep you know, pretending everything's fine? What's the result for our culture, but also more for our sake, uh, the church? Well, I think in it, I will be so thankful and, okay, and y'all can't see me like rubbing my temples right now. Um, I will sure, we be can so, confirm it. Yeah. Yeah. I will be so thankful when I don't have to have the mental health, mental illness stigma among Christians conversation anymore. Mm. Um, I'm so done with that. Um, so, but actually, I'm not done with that. I'm going to do it one more time. Uh, so, um, I think because the gospel gives hope. Yeah. Um, but yet. There's there's a lot of life to be lived in the middle of that. Yes. Uh, so there's this idea that um, for us as people of faith, as believers, that if the gospel if uh, the gospel really is hope, then that should just kind of take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And um, again, because we are so uncomfortable with pain right. uh, and trauma and life being rough, that it's so easy to just. Bible verse band-aid. That's right. Uh, you know, somebody is struggling with anxiety. Well, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, you're depressed. You know, you're feeling you know sad. You're grieving. Well, the Bible says be joyful always. Right. Uh, so we kind of weaponize scripture. Hmm. And guess what? That does not help. Right. Um, hmm. It actually backfires and makes it worse yep. for the person who is struggling because now they feel misunderstood yeah. and even more isolated and alone. And that's the absolute last thing they need right that's then. Right. Well, that's why I'm so grateful. We have a, a friend named Aubrey. Sampson, who wrote a book called The Louder Song, yeah. uh, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament, which so many people have found to be helpful in exactly what you're talking about. But another article that you shared, though, is about therapy memes <laughs> and, and, and all these like stigmas that you're talking about. I think a lot of people are listening saying, I have those stigmas or I'm very familiar with them. Yeah. But there's this whole article about actually memes, which you know often seem kind of anecdotal at best. Mm-hmm. Some are saying are actually helping kind of change the language and the game and some of the stigmas around mental health. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And how, how do you see this playing yeah, out? Yeah, I, I think so. And there probably is a generation gap to that. Uh, yeah, you know, right. I think, you know, um, folks who are, you know, 30, younger, uh, you know, having a therapist on their, on their speed dial is probably a little bit more common than folks who are right. you know, like my age, older. Um, I even remember going through graduate school when I told people what I was, you know, training in. Uh, more often than not, I would get this, "Oh, I can't talk to you anymore." Mm. And I'm like, uh, it's not like I'm going to start analyzing everybody <laughs> I right. talk to. Only some of you. Yeah. Right. Um, so now I'm nervous. No, no, no. Again, we flip it on and off like a switch. Uh, if you get a bill, you know it's going. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Just put it in my file. There you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll catch it's up already later. there. <laughs> we'll catch up later. Um, but, 
Yeah, again, I think the, it's normalizing mental health like we do physical health. Mm. You know, if you have pneumonia, you go to the doctor. Right. Uh, if you have a broken arm, you go to the doctor. You just don't stare at somebody and say, well, just it'll go away on its own. Right. Or fix it yourself. Or Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Exactly. Or, you know, just pray a little bit more. Um, you know, not that, you know, taking care of, you know, your spiritual house yeah. is not super important. Taking care of your physical house is important, but taking care of your mental and emotional house um, is so critical yeah. as well. And, you know, I am all in favor of finding somebody who is properly trained and licensed to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which pastors notoriously have not been great at actually yeah. pointing no. people in that direction. No, with the last minute we have, yeah. again, this is so helpful because I, yes. you know, I grew up kind of, you know, I never overtly, but kind of stuff your feelings, mm-hmm. good Christians don't struggle. So mm-hmm. uh, to those who struggle in those ways, maybe you've already done this beautifully, but we'll just, since we have a minute left, give a word of a, a hope, but also an admonition, like go get some help. Maybe take that last minute to speak to that person in their car right now who is just struggling. Sure. Um, I w- and I would say, you know, shop around for a counselor mm-hmm. um, like you would, uh, you know, a medical doctor. You right. know, if you're just not clicking with somebody, you know, find somebody else. Ask somebody trusted for a referral. Uh, you know, look at bios on web pages, things like that. Um, and, you know, don't give up. Please mm. don't give up on this. Yeah. Uh, even if you are not wrestling with anything in particular. Yeah. You know, even if you don't say, oh, I think I'm mentally ill right now or I think I have a diagnosis. Um, you know, even if just life is hard, you know, it's having somebody who is there solely for the purpose of listening and not judging you. Yes. Everybody needs that. Yeah, mm. no kidding. Dr. Mushravon, it is such a joy to have you in the studio. Please come back. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not know how she by, was going to respond. By then, the file will be a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get working on the file and the bill. You've been listening to Dr. Marsha Vaughn. Uh, I do encourage you, check her out. If you uh, are in need of any help, please, you can even contact the show. We'd love to get you in contact with somebody. And this has been The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music is becoming the thing of my nightmares, by the way. I, <laughs> two days ago, I like heard it, and I like woke up in a cold sweat. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, kickers. Kicker time. So here, here's, the, uh, here's the deal. So these are stories that we have not seen. Our producers have chosen them, and they've loaded sound effects into the box. The box. The box. <laughs> <laughs> into, the, into a computer. Into a comp- the magic vault a, of kickers. Computation machine of some kind. And so we have no idea what's coming next. And uh, we're going to read them sight unseen and probably giggle and cry right along with yes. you. So please, please, please forgive us if they're awful. Brian Fromm, take it away. Uh, Utah. Woman attacked by bison was with man who was previously attacked by bison. (laughs) Surprising new details are emerging about Friday night's bison attack on Antelope (laughs) Island that left a woman gored and in the hospital. Oh, yikes. That woman was together with a man and two dogs when the incident happened. The man she was with is the same man who was attacked by a bison on Antelope Island on June 1st. According to Lieutenant Eric Stuckey with the Utah State Parks, the woman was hiking with a man and two dogs. She ran ahead when she saw a bison at some distance. The woman turned around and ran toward the man to warn him of the bison. When she was the uh, when she was the bison rammed into her, sending her airborne. The woman suffered non-life-threatening injuries with a compound fracture in one leg and a laceration on the other. She was airlifted. Stucky told Two News that they brought in a medical helicopter because they didn't want her to use her injured legs to get off the trail. Marge, how about whipping up some buffalo sausage, 
huevos buffaleros and some fresh-squeezed buffalo jay. The buffalo are good. I think you shot them all. I mean, buffalo and a bison are not the same thing. Just for just for the nope, record, nope. everybody. Close. Did you also know that the word buffalo seven times in a row is a legitimate English sentence? Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia page when we're done here and show you. Okay. Uh, California. Police capture pony with braided mane running loose on a highway. Mm. Weird that that's a story. Police in California <laughs> shared a photo of a pony they were able to wrangle when the runaway equine decided to take a trot on a busy stretch of highway. The California Highway Patrol said officers responded about 10 a.m. to the 91 freeway in Long Beach and were able to capture the pony reported running loose in the area. The CHP shared a photo of officers posing with the pony, a pony poser, with, <laughs> which had braids in its mane. Giddy up. Do you believe in unicorns? This poor pony was found on SR-91 westbound at Cherry Ave. Our team of experienced wranglers was able to rescue the pony and return it to Merlin. Who's who's Is Merlin a, <laughs> is that a horse lingo I'm not into? Their news stories in California are so much more fun than the ones that we read. Congratulations, uh, Merlin. Officers said that the pony had actually escaped from a young girl, aw, who had been riding her pet just north of the freeway. The pony, which sustained a minor injury from the collision with the uh, SUV during its time in the loose, was safely returned to the girl. I hate anyone that ever had a pony when they were growing up. I had a pony. <laughs> Well, I didn't uh, really mean a pony per se. When I was a little girl in Poland, we all had ponies. My sister had pony. My cousin had pony. So what's wrong with that? <laughs> Good Seinfeld clip, <laughs> right? Great there. Seinfeld clip. Uh, New Jersey uh, golfers teed off. Get it? Teed off with politics can take aim at politicians and pundits at New Jersey driving range. Oh, I see a driving range in New Jersey is allowing golfers to take their best cuts at nailing posters of Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and many more along the fairway as a way of dealing with stress that comes with the political saga. Cape May Par 3 Golf and Driving Range in Middle Township came up with the idea of to put political figures out on yardage markers. Other current targets include Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Sean Hannity, and Kellyanne Conway. Posters of Mitch McConnell, Elizabeth Warren, Chuck Schumer, and Rachel Maddow are also waiting in the wings for their time to be target practice. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! <laughs> uh, I'm going to go watch that now. All right, Florida. Got to have a Florida. Florida. Alligator found lurking next to gator warning sign. This photo is, <laughs> is hilarious. Police from Florida assisted a professional trapper with the capture of a, quote, very large and very angry alligator. How would you like that job? You're a trapper? Oh, you're a professional all, trapper. That's all you do is deal with alligators. That's uh, terrifying. The Tampa Police Department said in a Facebook post, officers were called Sunday to Rowlett Park on a report of an alligator hanging out next to a sign. Folks, we cannot stress enough that warning signs are there for a reason, police wrote. It has a slightly humorous cartoon of an alligator on it, but they are no laughing matter. I mean, that is Godzilla, right? Godzilla, yeah. It's in the same family. Kinda. Are alligators technically part of the lizard family, even? Maybe. Maybe. Are we qualified to weigh in on this at all? Nope, but I'm qualified to read the Netherlands. Here we go. (laughs) Police arrested a sneaky bird for its part in a robbery. A Dutch bird was spotted at the scene of the crime, and police evidently had a lot of fun doling out a punishment. Uh, Police in Utrecht in the Netherlands found the sneaky witness when arresting a shoplifting subject. Uh... Yep, they shared a picture of the bird on their Instagram page last week. Yep, we recently arrested a suspect for shoplifting. During the arrest, we found a sneaky witness with feathers and a beak on the suspect's shoulders. 
The police allegedly gave the bird bread and water to keep it satiated in the police station. When initially reporting on the bird's arrest, news organization RTV Utrecht blurred out the bird's eyes to keep his identity private. There are only two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) And then on a high note, although you know what my favorite part of the show was today? (laughs) You saying sneaky witness. Sneaky witness. That's going away. You can't say sneaky unless that way. You got to like raise the shoulders a little bit. You did it flawlessly, Brian. From Well, another day in the books. We hope you'll join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here in the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like.